it was 89. Everybody had a mullet. But I think that's the thing. We all did. If we, if you were alive in 1989 and you were a guy, you had a mullet. Radio Drome. Welcome to an unfortunately somber episode of Radio Drome. This was not tonight's scheduled topic. We'll hopefully do that next week. The day we're recording this, Bill Paxton just died of complications during heart surgery at age 61. And it's like, you know what? No. I love Bill Paxton. I loved his movies. He's Even when the movie sucks, he's always good. So we're going to look at Bill Paxton's life and career. When, You're when you stupid, heard this, but what? That's what we're going to talk about. Somebody sent it to me on Twitter, and uh, I woke up, like, and as I usually do, I checked my phone to see what time it was, and then just out of instinct, I'm like, oh, I've got a message. Oh, Bill Paxton died. Oh, I'm going back to sleep. This fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was kind of at, like, this is going to be a shitty day. Very much so. And the one ironic thing is, okay, I didn't even know Bill Paxton was in a new TV show. I, I knew he'd been on Agents. He was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. last year and stuff like that. And, you know, he'd been on Big Love and for on HBO for years. He apparently is in the TV series sequel to Training Day. He He's the super corrupt new cop. And apparently it's a sequel, not a oh. remake series. It's only aired four episodes, and the ratings were in the toilet. The word was, as of last Friday, the show was about to be canceled. Now that Bill Paxton mm. died, they're probably going to air all 13 filmed episodes. I, In a weird way, his death, I think, gave the show a full season. That's sad. It is, but you know what? I bet, I bet all of his scenes in the show are probably awesome. Like I could see him playing a, a role like that very well, like a like a crooked, uh, corrupt, greasy sort of cop. Like he's, he's very good at playing characters like that. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing that. Uh, I actually saw one of the trailers for it, and it really looked like Bill Paxton was giving his usual a hundred percent, and everybody else was just kind of there. God, that trailer <laughs> was so generic, cop show wasn't it it really was like it was uh it just had all like i remember oh, there, there was the big cliche line in it uh that i don't remember because it was months ago that i saw the trailer i, I just I, I actually i watched the trailer today one of the lines that struck out to me as they think they're being so cool when the new undercover cop goes into their undercover unit welcome to the mirror we're the dark side and i just went yeah. oh yeah, it's it's a shame because like he's awesome. Like I I have never seen I've seen him in bad movies, but the movies are never mm -hmm. bad because of him. The movies are just bad because they're bad, but he's always great. He's always he just giving a fantastic performance and seeing him show up in something like this and really the buzz was about the other actor. 
No, like Bill Paxton is just he's he's always giving a great performance. He's always doing good. It's like there's a reason why Cameron has continuously put him in his movies. He's mm. always fantastic, and he he's appreciated. I have a feeling that he's a very like loved actor, as is evident by how many people are upset by this. But I don't yeah. think that he ever really got the industry love that he should have. He's definitely more of like a that guy. But I totally feel the same way that he is awesome and everything he does. And this is very evident to me as a kid watching even a movie like Commando for the first time and spotting him in a tiny little role that he has uh, I think just working for like uh, an airfield center and he's radioing with Arnold for like a scene that lasts a minute he's like you're over restricted airspace you risk getting shut down and even as a kid I was like hey that's that guy from Aliens let's let's look at Bill Paxton's life then up to his career he was born in Fort Worth Texas the story goes he actually saw John F. Kennedy get assassinated. That apparently there are photographs hanging up at the Sixth Floor Museum in Dallas, Texas, of an eight-year-old Bill Paxton. His dad is holding him above the crowd while Kennedy is being shot. So huh. he, he witnessed JFK's assassination. But then he, he was always so liked... He didn't start out as an actor. He started out behind the camera. He he has a band from the 1980s called Martini Ranch, and he directed a couple of shorts, but he started as a set decorator and construction worker for Roger Corman. That's how he met James Cameron. Bill Paxton literally helped build the sets for Battle Beyond the Stars and Galaxy of Terror for James Cameron while working for Roger Corman is uh, the, the first exchange that Cameron had with Bill Paxton. And this was just from reading um, a thing that Cameron wrote on the passing of Bill just today is uh, his first interaction with Paxton was handing him a brush on the set of a Roger Corman film, pointing at a wall and going, paint that. And ever since then, um, they became very tight knit, really close friends. They've been friends just outside of the industry, um, friends with each other's families and, and working, uh, helping each other with each other's projects, working with each other on projects. And it, it seems like they really built up very uh, fantastic and, and great friendship. And you really can see why James Cameron loved using him so much in, in his movies. And even with, uh, you know, Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, you had most of that film was the cast from, from Aliens. And that's obviously got to be because Cameron and Paxton were, were close friends and there was a connection there and they were able to sort of use the cast from a Cameron film into that movie as well. So you could see all these little little industry connections and, you know, uh, elevating each other. It wasn't so much like friend ass kissing or, you know, putting your untalented cousin in a movie or whatever. I think it was really, no, it was definitely Cameron seeing that Paxton was an incredible talent and he wanted to showcase him wherever possible. And that was so great to, to see him show up so much because of that and to have them help each other out as much as they did. You could really see a, a genuine friendship there. And it was um, really quite incredible. Cameron started out working for Corman doing on uh, what Piranha 2, well, was it Piranha and then transitioned also to no, directing no, 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 no. pretty much Piranha 2? He he started out as, as the set designer for Battle Beyond the Stars and Galaxy of Terror for Roger Corman. Kind of got him in the director's chair was Piranha. Yeah. No, mm. he, he had nothing to do with Piranha. Piranha was Joe Dante. What got him in the, in the director's chair, Battle Beyond the Stars and Galaxy of Terror, because both of those directors were running behind, so Cameron just, without being promoted, 
took over as second unit director and started shooting a lot of the sets. And That's Corman was right. like, this guy's got some damn initiative. That's right, because it was the because it was in um uh not Battle Beyond the Stars, uh, Galaxy of Terror, where you hooked the car battery up to the corpse and it made so it made the maggots move. Yeah, okay, that was that was the thing. Okay, I'm getting my my movies mixed yeah, up. Because then here. Piranha Two would come after that. Okay, yeah, I'm all over the place. Today. And Bill Paxton had nothing to do with Piranha Two because that was technically well, he, not a Corman movie, but. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, look at how many actors and actresses and whatnot just end up being at the right place at the right time where they, they show uh, they have the right look or they have the talent or they're just recognized. So, I mean, God, genuinely surprised there's not more documentaries talking about Corman and about the huge list of people that would not be famous today if not for him. Paxton working, you know, in court with Corman, he, he's somebody who he would be in big movies he'd be in little movies he's kind of in a way like eric roberts like he's not above being in a movie that uh, he either believes in or maybe is fits in with his schedule <laughs> but yeah, he, um he's a working he's like a working class uh actor i've i've always sort of referred to him as the like blue collar actor he's in that sort of range of, of guys that are very everyman in the movie business they're they're in it to work they're they're working class actors yeah you know uh and they just will do a movie that they'll you know and it fits in with their schedule and whatnot and they'll do it and it's not uh and they don't shit all over his movies like he's never been one like Clooney is somebody who's like oh I was in this movie when I sucked you know well, there was like, killer tomatoes in killer it tomato it's like well don't you understand that you are where you are now because of the steps that you had to go through to get to where you are now you don't start off doing these huge movies uh unless you're channing tatum for some reason you you work your way up and i always thought that it was uh crappy when uh somebody would shit on a uh, like if you want to talk about a movie and say you know the production was bad or the director didn't know what he's doing or like or something but i mean if if you're talking about just you don't like that genre anymore oh i don't you know horror movies uh yeah it's like well you are where you are because of that and paxton was somebody who he had done a, a huge variety of movies, and I never heard him say one bad thing about any of them. He always just kind of would do his movies and smile and would just do a great job regardless. Oh, and, and, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was in Twister. There's no way he could have thought that was a good movie, but he did it. So and he was fair, good at it. He was really, his character he was, was very you know endearing what, and likable. He was the only reason I watched that movie. Me to too. I saw that film... I, I'm pretty sure I saw that film numerous times as a kid, and it was because of his character. He made it enjoyable. His character was related, relatable. His character was very human and uh, enigmatic. To be fair, Twister made half a billion dollars and was <laughs> the number two highest grossing film of 1996. That doesn't mean it was, was good. A good it had a 17-page script. It literally had pages where it would say just tornado attack. But that's a poorly <laughs> written movie. It's, I'm not saying that it is a, it is a wonderfully written movie. I'm not saying it's an Oscar caliber winning movie. But the thing is, when you are an actor, you're, you kind of, 
do those kind of movies because that's where the money is. You do a movie yeah. like Twister and you'll be able to bounce off that and do another big movie. Where if you do a lot of like artsy movies, that's fine, but you're eventually like uh, like you unless you've got the clout that you can kind of bounce back and forth, you'll kind of fade out from like public uh you know uh the public spotlight and you'll stop making money because you're doing like too many like small artsy films. If you're big yeah. enough that you could kind of go back and forth if you're somebody like a um uh, Eric Roberts or Matt Damon. Somebody like an Eric Roberts or Matt Damon and you can do movies that you believe in and then still be able to come back and do like something huge, then that's fine. But back in 1996 him doing Twister, that was huge for him to have a starring role in a movie that ended up being that big. You can't fault him for wanting to do that. For Jan DeBont coming off of Speed and how that really rocketed Keanu Reeves into the spotlight, and it did the same for him for a little while. Well, let's go back to the beginning of him acting. Now, he started acting in 1975, and he didn't get a speaking role until 1982. I mean, he played a character on Saturday Night Live once. He actually, it was just them airing the Fish Heads short that he directed and also starred in. They aired that, of course, in the lowest rated season Saturday Night Live ever had. But, like, <laughs> he, he was one of the background soldiers in Stripes. Didn't get a line of dialogue. He was in a, he was in the movie Crazy Mama. Didn't get a line of dialogue. The first movie that he got a line of dialogue in was Night Warning in 1982. And then huh. it's just all up from there. Lords of Discipline. He was one of the sadistic asshole cadets. He was in Deadly Lessons, the TV movie. And then, I mean, hell, he was the Nazi radio operator in Pat Benatar's Shadows of the Night video. Again, no lines. And then, all of a sudden, what you might call his first starring role? He's the killer in 1983's Mortuary. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he started, uh, very small is how really a lot of actors should start. It's, I think that there's too many actors that will come along and they'll get pushed on us and they're like, this is the next big thing. And then you watch their movies and you're like, why? Like, there's nothing particularly special. <laughs> like, uh, I had just seen this movie, uh, Collide with, uh, Felicity Jones, and I was not particularly impressed with her in Rogue One, and then I saw her in this, and I'm like, oh god, this she's awful! She's awful! Then I went and I looked at, at her, uh, her resume, you know, like all the movies that she's done. She has done a crap ton of stuff, but it seems like they did really push her to the, to the front recently, mostly because of uh, Rogue One. But there's been other actors like that over the years where, uh, they would, uh, just push them and you're like, uh, why should we, why should this person be a, a big deal all of a sudden? Uh, I mean, I can understand Jim Carrey having three huge blockbusters in a row and then all of a sudden you know they start paying him uh, out the you know out the butt and uh, giving him like more roles but he is also somebody who had been around for a while and with uh with Paxton with him starting very small and kind of moving up the ladder and, and eventually doing bigger and bigger parts and bigger and bigger movies he he earned it he earned his place and he earned his uh his resume and you can look back and be like yeah this guy he's awesome he he really deserves the credit he does deserves to be where he is in the industry absolutely because if you've ever seen mortuary now look at it and it's a 1983 context. Nobody knows who this Bill Paxton guy is. He is the most memorable actor on that cast. He steals that movie from the rest of the cast. You could you can watch Mortuary now and you go, that guy's destined for something better. 
Well, the the days before uh, the stone cutters, I mean Hollywood, pushing guys like Channing Tatum on us, you you had actors that actually had to really climb for the top to really reach for that brass ring and to do small non-speaking roles and small bit parts, playing killers in movies, uh, much like how um, Michael Ironside also did with uh, Visiting Hours. You had uh, Bill Paxton doing a movie where he plays a killer too. And obviously, movie by movie, bit by bit, step by step, climbing just a little bit more, you end up hitting a, a bigger pinnacle. You end up hitting a you know role in Terminator, and then you'll go up even higher. You'll hit Near Dark, then you'll hit uh, Twister, and you'll keep going higher and hit bigger budgeted movies and become more of a namesake and actually have to work your way up in the industry. And I really miss when actors had to do that because I, I like going back to their past and checking out like lesser known roles and seeing what they were like before they were super famous. Like you get to see stuff like that with uh you know Pacino Oh, uh, De Niro, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, all these guys had like these little micro budget movies that they did before they were actually famous. And it's really interesting to watch their sort of raw talent in motion before anybody really knew who they were. Unfortunately, Mortuary, you know, coming out not at the tail end, but as the slasher boom was was kind of winding down, didn't do a whole lot for his career. You know, he still had small roles in like Streets of Fire, and then he's got what three lines in the Terminator before he's killed, and then all great of a sudden, lines they, though, fantastic they're, they're, lines. They're not bad lines, but I'm just saying. If you didn't know who he was, you would not walk out of that movie going, "I really like that punk guy." I really like that punk guy. (laughs) But then he got what was his first really major breakthrough role. And as Cecil brought up earlier, you're stewed, buttwad. F***ing Chet from Weird Science. He's not the main character, but again, he steals this movie. Whenever anyone quotes Weird Science, do they quote Anthony Michael Hall or anyone else? No, they quote Chet. Yeah, absolutely. Chet, like, I mean, that whole movie is full of memorable stuff, but that movie would not be as revered as it is today without Chet. Just yeah. every time he was doing something, you know, for God Christ's sake, will you cover yourself? <laughs> hey, get- <laughs> How about a greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray? Dirty ashtray, yeah. And that laugh. (laughs) Oh, he's just outstanding in that. I think that that was the first movie where I was like, okay, who is this guy? And I like him a lot. (laughs) Because he was the unlikable. Oh, and when when, uh, he gets turned into the whatever, it's just. Jabba the butt. Yeah, the, whatever, you know, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. It just was fantastic. I, I love that movie, and I love He's everyone's nightmare of an older brother. He's everyone's yeah. asshole older brother that you still really like for some reason. Well, and now, not Bill Paxton, but when they made Weird Science into a TV series, Lee Turgeson took over that role. And you know what? He was just as good, too, because he was kind of channeling Bill Paxton's performance for the TV show. Yeah, the the show I thought was like, okay. The show was ass, but you watched it for Chet. Well, that was the thing. It was like you watched it for Chet. Like he really was. And they they kept putting like more and more Chet and less and less of Wyatt and Gary in the show. Although they did have have, uh, Vanessa Angel doing the Kelly LeBrock part. And I thought that uh, she did a very good job of uh, of replacing her. I thought she was a, a nice pick. 
Chet is fantastic. Haven't seen uh, Weird Science all that recently, but definitely a memorable character. And then he would go on to, there's Twister and Apollo 13 and all that. Probably his most pop culture role is Private Hudson in Aliens. I'm not even going to do yes. a game over thing, but Aliens again. Because, I mean, you've got Michael Bean being, you know, the, the sturdy soldier, and you got Sigourney being the shell-shocked civilian. You've got Paul Reiser being the sleazy corporate guy. You've got Lance Henriksen kind of being the voice of reason. And then you've got Hudson just going insane in every scene. He, again, almost steals this movie from the rest of the cast. I feel like Bill Paxton's character of Hudson and Aliens is sort of um, a representation of how the audience would be reacting in that scenario, like just freaking the f*** out, like kind of the, the most... Eight more weeks and out, I was getting short. Yeah, it was uh, relatable. It was um like, honestly, every time I watch Aliens, it's like, I'd like to think of myself as Hicks, but I'd more than likely be Hudson. I would just be freaking out, you know, oh, you game over, why don't you put her in charge? Just like freaking out. Um, And I think that's uh, that's what makes that movie so great, is it has that, it's, it's that subtle hint of that this is the character for the audience to relate to, and I don't even think it was intentional, but it really works well that way. He is the, the relatable every character, because he's not the hardened bad of Hicks. He's not the shell-shocked uh, Ripley that dealt with the alien before. You know, he, he's not the sociopathic, sleazy corporate guy. He's just the everyman that, you know, wants to go home and drink a beer or, you know, just hang out at home or whatever, and he can't because he's stuck in this, like, shit situation and he's losing his mind. Like, you, like you feel for the guy and you kind of feel like, yeah, that's probably how I'd be reacting, too. Again, so quotable with the, uh, you know, where's the real part of shit now, man? <laughs> <laughs> And of course, you know, game over, game over, and just, he's great. He's, he's one where you're like, uh, couldn't he live a little bit longer? <laughs> like, is he yeah. so, he's so, he, great. he dies, a pre he dies pretty glorious. I mean, yes, he's in total freak yeah. out mode, but he takes out quite a few of them because he's completely yeah. snapped, but that's not the point. He goes out like a, he goes out like a badass. He goes out. Oh yeah, you want some too? Fuck you! You know, obviously that's working with James Cameron again, which we'll get to in a little bit again. But then he got a lot of mainstream attention by appearing on the show every actor in the 1980s appeared on, Miami Vice. He played mm. Vic Romano in third, the third season episode Streetwise, where he was an undercover cop like Crockett. He started to lose himself undercover and fell in love with the prostitute that was part of his cover, but he has a wife and child at home who he hasn't seen in six months, and then when he accidentally gets busted with the prostitute, all of this comes out, and then he ends up being up Wesley Snipes as a pimp in the episode, and if that's not enough reason to seek out Miami Vice's Streetwise, I don't know what is. <laughs> that honestly sounds like it works as a movie just in itself, just outside of the Miami Vice universe. I would watch that as a feature-length film. And, and then he goes on to a, a Hitchhiker episode, and he's got one of the few good episodes of those later USA Network seasons of Hitchhiker, which again, he's a complete psychopath in the episode. And then he, then we come to Near Dark, where he plays Severin. I don't want to say the oh, most memorable yes. character, cause I gotta go Lance Henriksen on that one as Jesse. He again kinda steals this whole thing. You know, I hate he it does. when they ain't been shaved. Oh, uh, Near Dark's fantastic. I remember I was, uh, 
I was hanging out with uh, with a friend of mine, and uh, her parents used to. Uh, they both worked the night shift, and so me and uh, me and a couple of friends, we would always go over to her place, and we would raid her father's VHS cabinet, and we just got this movie near dark what's oh it's a vampire movie oh look it's got lance henriksen in it so we threw it in and it's like oh my god this movie's awesome like why why don't people talk about this movie i mean now lance henriksen tim thomerson Jeanette goldstein you've got you got bill paxton adrian pazdar co-written by james cameron directed by Catherine bigelow you're like why is this movie not more well known yeah it's insane and that the, and that the bar scene, the the movie could be just the bar scene, and it would still yeah. be worth it. Near Dark is my absolute favorite vampire movie of all time, and uh, it always will be. And it is probably my favorite uh, Bill Paxton role of uh, all time as well. I love the character of Severn. Uh, he makes a fantastic outlaw vampire character. Just his, his southern drawl is great. His quotes are amazing. Just saying stuff like, let me tap dance on him, Paul. I'll make it so good. And the whole thing is that he's got like the little spike spurs on his boots. You know, he jumps up on the, that the scene that was just brought up in the bar, he jumps up on the counter. He slits the bartender's throat with the spurs of his boots. I think he says the line before he does that too, is something like, uh, howdy, I'm going to separate your head from your shoulders. Hope you don't mind none or something like that. He says something fucking cool before he, he does something absolutely awful to, to somebody. There's also the scene where he acts as a hitchhiker and, you know, charms those two girls into picking him up. Then he wrecks their shit. Um, just a movie about Severn would have been great. He was sort of the, uh, sort of the cool, like the coolest character of the, of the troop, of the near dark troop. He was sort of the, um, I would say the Wolverine of that film. He was just sort of the, the coolest sort of, uh, badass kind of character that every now and then would, uh, make this sort of snide remark or, or just say something cool before he does something cool. Bill Paxton was also part of a new wave band called Martini Ranch. They're, they're very Devo-ish. And I don't mean that in a condescending or snide way. They've got a very Devo quality to them they had made made a video a couple of years earlier which i'll i'll play the song at the end of this show and it had michael bean anthony michael hall and judge reinhold in it well to make the video for their 1988 single reach they got james cameron to direct it and the video is like a sci-fi western music video it's about seven minutes long starring bill paxton since he's the singer of the band and it also has Paul Reiser, Adrian Pazdar, Lance Henriksen, Bud Cork, Catherine Bigelow as a bounty hunter. And it's it's got a lot of the Aliens cast in it, the Near Dark cast, Jeanette Goldstein's in it and whatnot. It's a really cool James Cameron, Bill Paxton short for a band nobody has heard of besides people like me. Um, I know of it, but I've never actually listened to any of the songs, but that video sounds amazing. Well, and then Bill Paxton put in his time, you know, he he was in some movies that not a lot of people have heard of, like Riding Fast and Past the Alamo, and then he got what should have been a big movie. Huge budget, directed by Steve Lisberger, coming, you know, a few years earlier, having done Tron. He was in Slipstream, where Mark Hamill is a badass, beard-wearing bounty hunter, and Mark Hamill's the villain. Unfortunately, would be kind of one of the characters that Bill Paxton will become known to play. Overconfident jackass, who's actually kind of a screw up and slipstream mm. because of some behind the scenes nonsense and some distribution woes was a complete disaster in the united states to the point where it's public domain over here a 1989 mark hamill ben kingsley bill paxton movie is public domain in america Ouch. something went wrong behind the scenes didn't it 
Yeah, something something screwed up. It's a shame because it's actually like I think it's a fun movie, and you get to see it's you know, over Mark- long. It, the movie does not need to be literally two hours long. It's a half hour. There are scenes like when they're in F. Murray Abraham's little compound underground, and there's just this full ballroom dance scene that goes on for seven minutes. You go, wow, that did not need to be here. But you know what? I will take an overlong, uh, well-shot dance sequence over uh, the really, really, really bad editing monstrosity of the last Resident Evil movie, which uh, was just so depressing. I quite possibly the worst editing I've ever seen in a movie. It's just it's so depressing. But yeah, I would rather I'd rather watch that. Because at least you can tell what's going on. Like, that's that will at least keep me in the movie a little bit more than a movie that's just edited so poorly that I have no idea what's going on. Slipstream is, is all right. I mean, yeah, it's overlong, and it does have, like, uh, some issues. But uh, I think the look of it's cool. Mark Hamill with the with the beard is a badass. And, uh, you know, having Bill Paxton in it is just always a plus. So uh, it's a movie that's probably going to get pushed to the top of my uh, must-do queue. And he's got a mullet in it, too. Bill Paxton does, or yes. Bill Paxton does, or Mark Hamill does. Bill Paxton has a mullet in this. It was '89. Everybody had a mullet, but I think that's <laughs> the thing. We all did. If we, if you were alive in 1989 and you were a guy, you had a mullet. I was gonna say, if I had an empty beer bottle near me, I would smash it over my head for not having seen this movie yet because it sounds amazing. Mark Hamill as a bearded villain, uh, Bill Paxton with a mullet, Ben Kingsley in 1989 in what a sci-fi action film called yeah. Slipstream. Ben Kingsley has super long hair and a big beard, and he's a, a hippie sci-fi cult leader. Huh, this sounds great. Uh, I think I might watch this tonight if I can find a copy of it. This movie has torture by kite. They tie one of the main guys to a kite and po- hold him out in the wind to torture him. <laughs> what? I'm serious. Oh, Come on, Cecil, okay. back me up. That actually happens, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah, I think, dude, I think you'll really enjoy it. Wonderful. That sounds great. Well, and then and then he did the, the really cool movie Back to Back. And then, now, the only, he's the only reason I watched Next of Kin. My wife at the time told me Bill Paxton was in this movie. She didn't tell me he dies in the first five minutes, because at the time. Which one was, uh, what was Next of Kin again? Who was the star? Patrick Swayze and Liam Neeson are uh, hillbilly brothers from the Ozarks who have to avenge Bill Paxton's death, so they take on the mob in Chicago. Yeah, that one. That's a pretty forgettable flick. You know what? I liked it. I saw it again about a year ago. I thought it was pretty decent. It's okay if you're like a Patrick Swayze, Liam Neeson, Bill Paxton completist, but it's kind of meh. Like, it's all right. And then he did a movie, which I have not seen in 27 years, but I remember liking Brain Dead. I thought they had a weird problem with the movie starring Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman. I said, okay, that's going to get confusing after a while. (laughs) Can't say I've seen Brain Dead unless I saw it in a different title or something what's the plot of that one it's it's one of those mind fuck ones where you know it's like a rubber reality kind of thing again i haven't seen it in 27 Uh, years so i'm going off memories here in a showdown of man versus machine martin plunges into a chaotic nightmare trying to save his mind from the megalomaniacal corporation I remember seeing it when it first came on HBO, literally because I'm like, uh, Bill Paxton's in a new horror movie, and I remember reading about it in Fangoria, debuting on HBO this Saturday night. Yeah. And then I, I, I haven't seen, ooh, Navy Seals. Oh, you beat me to in, it. <laughs> in, in, in so long. I haven't seen it in so long, but I remember his part not being that big in Navy Seals. Isn't that no. one of the, I might be remembering it wrong, but isn't that one of the movies that he doesn't die in? 
He doesn't I die in a few movies. There's a I, lot of movies where he dies. A lot of his most well-known ones, he tends to die. Navy Seals was primarily Charlie Sheen and Michael Bean. And, yeah. Uh, it's it is a great explodey movie. If you want to watch shit blow up and just not really the <laughs> best story, but I remember just, it. I remember not liking it very much. It's, it's a lot of, of um, style. It's a. Uh, it's like a stereotype Michael Bay movie before that stereotype even existed. Well, it was produced by it's Jerry Bruckheimer, of, so that's why. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it was very much like the prototypical version of The Rock. Like, it was sort of the early version of that. That would ve- I, I feel like The Rock sort of wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Navy SEALs. That's very, very possible. And then he got, again, playing an asshole character who kind of redeems himself before his death. Predator 2, he was Jerry Lambert. Oh, I don't want to say Predator 2. I don't want to say he stole the movie because he really didn't cuz that was with Gary Busey that stole that movie. Jerry was just another in these long lines. Like I said, Bill Paxton in all the big movies he was in, even if it was in a smaller part, he was typecast as the jackass overconfident character. But when you look at the other movies, you look at the indie movies he was doing in the same period, he's playing like a small town sheriff solving a mystery and he's mm-hmm. playing, you know, a, a a detective and he's playing a serial killer and it, it it's really weird how he actually got more creative freedom the lower the budget was which is really strange i think that that seems to go for uh any actor that decides to do indie stuff after they sort of become an established name like they'll go work with a lesser known filmmaker and that filmmaker will kind of give them free reign because i think they they already feel sort of rewarded enough that they're working with sort of a bigger name in the industry so they'll be like okay you can kind of do whatever you want with this role because i'm sure you're getting sick of being typecast as you know over competent guy who becomes a bumbling jackass at some point so i think that's probably why he was able to play sort of more uh heroic or or somber or sort of more subversive characters and is more independent stuff uh i think it was kind of they they knew what he was good at and they put him in it like if you look at a lot of denzel washington's old stuff denzel was a really good actor but he was always kind of getting picked to play the same character and it wasn't yeah. really until ironically enough the the movie that that turned into the 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 bill fire? paxton no 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 the bill paxton that is now training day training day it wasn't until training day oh. that he really was like i thought that he kind of broke out of that mold he got the oscar for it he then after that he started to have a lot more variety in his roles that he wasn't always just playing mm-hmm. you know, denzel See, washington I, I always saw i always saw denzel washington as the doctor from saint elsewhere <laughs> yeah you know i always saw him as a saint elsewhere character and now that i see him as like a vigilante i'm like wow he really went nuts after tommy westfall's reveal huh but then bill paxton was still kicking around in smaller movies like boxing helena and trespass he had a small role in monolith he was in a very memorable tales from the crypt episode tombstone and then playing a jackass again there was a an anthology movie called future shock he stars in the only memorable segment of future shock Name is really, really, really familiar. What was this segment? He played the jackass brand new roommate of a mousy little guy who is every... Okay, remember how we said Chet is everyone's nightmare of an older brother? This is everyone's nightmare of a roommate. Sounds vaguely familiar, but I probably haven't seen it. And then he falls back into James Cameron's... For some reason, Cameron didn't use him in The Abyss. I don't know if there was just no role for him or he was busy at the time, but he has, you know, a small but memorable role in True Lies, pissing himself. Oh, man, Small but memorable. Great. Dude, he is, like, he's one of the 
best parts of that movie. No, I think Josh is remembering it wrong. That was a big uh, story arc. That was like the the middle of the film where yeah, he, there was I, that I whole... remember him peeing himself when act, when an actual action scene happened. That was really funny. Uh, that that whole thing was great of uh, Arnold using you know his, his whole CIA uh, or Harry Rehnquist the character uses the sort of CIA stuff to like stalk him and find out who he is and they actually think he might be this like terrorist guy and they stage this whole sting and they capture him and and then he starts pissing himself and there's this whole speech that uh bill paxton character i got a tiny little dick yeah he's just like i have to lie to women to get laid i don't get laid much i got a little dick it's pathetic oh what a secret agent pee himself come on (laughs) i i I actually the part that disturbed me the most was him with that little pencil thin mustache was just creepy yeah. looking oh, yeah. oh my god he was uh he was one of the highlights of that movie and i love true lies over well and i love it for that reason that it's um it almost feels like a secret agent sort of anthology film because every um point of the film like the first second and third act are all kind of different storylines like the the first one is sort of you get introduced to Harry. He's a super secret agent, but he's got kind of a uh, his family life is kind of on the rocks. His wife is getting boring. He's trying to think of ways to spice things up. Then he finds out that you know she might be uh, may or may not be cheating on him with uh, the Bill Paxton character. Then all of a sudden we're thrust into like a terrorist plot. Like I, I love True Lies for that reason. There's so much like weird variety in it, and it's such a nice little uh, take on the usual stereotype James Bond stuff. And that that movie like subverts it right on its head, and it's. it's it's fantastic just because of, of little things like that. Like you have the, the middle of the film is Schwarzenegger's character insecure thinking his wife is cheating on him with this wormy little guy and he completely ruins the guy's f***ing life. After that, he goes on to, I found Apollo 13 to be boring as hell, but this is the first time Bill Paxton is truly in a major mainstream role alongside Tom Hanks and Gary Sinise in that. I'm not saying this in a, in a deprecating way. I was surprised Bill Paxton got a role along all these other people as a main character in a major movie like this. He was great in it. I just thought the movie was f***ing boring. Apollo 13 I saw when I was a kid. I don't think I've ever watched it since. Um, I mean, I like space movies. I like science fiction, but I like my science fiction to be on the weirder side. You know, I like aliens. I like post-apocalyptic stuff. You know, hey, you know, NASA's great. It's great that there's space exploration and crap like that, but you know what? I'll read about it. I'll watch it on the news. I don't really want to see a movie about it. Apollo 13, will I will always remember it because uh, I was sitting in the theater and there was a row of girls behind me. And about three quarters of the way through the film, when things are at their worst, when it really looks like they're, uh, you know, everything is doomed. The girls behind me are crying, and one of them goes, I don't think they're going to make it. It's a true story, <laughs> dumbasses. Uh, going to the theater is, is great for just little moments like that. It's yeah, like that stuck with me for, for however long, you know. It's just... <laughs> I, 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 think my, I think my favorite is, and it is a Bill Paxton movie, is before... We walked into the theater. My wife and I were in line to see Titanic, and I mentioned that I hear the boat sinking is a tremendous sequence. All honesty, this lady goes, thanks for ruining the ending, asshole. <laughs> oh, my God. What the whole people point are stupid, of the man. is the boat sinking. <laughs> Uh, some, there are some people who just go to go to movies, and unfortunately, some of them are probably our audience, but total fucking chicken heads. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. And, well, and then then Bill the, Bill Paxton was in another indie movie where he's quite good in The Last Supper. That's one of those movies that nobody has seen, but it's got an amazing cast. I thought it had an amazing cast and a brilliant idea and horrendous direction. 
Oh, it, it it did not follow through properly, but just look at this cast for an independent film. You got Cameron <laughs> Diaz, Ron Eldard, Annabeth Gish, Courtney B. Vance, Bill Paxton, Nora Dunn, Ron Perlman, Charles During. Harmon. Mark Harmon. I mean, like, Jesus Christ, this is a tiny independent film that was a... I'll agree with Cecil. It was a better idea than it was a film. Yeah, they they just they took a really that you know what I am not one for remakes, but I think that that movie could definitely stand a remake. The idea is too strong, and it was just so botched. And you know what? Ironically enough, and I know you don't like when I bring politics into this in the Trump era, that movie has a lot more credibility, doesn't it? Yeah, well, you know, in in '95, I mean, things were kind of uh, it, it was they were they were trying basically. I mean, the the whole point of the movie was they were finding assholes like in uh, in the world, like people who they considered to be like Ron Perl Ron Perlman is this huge anti homosexuality crusading preacher, and then they kill him, and then they, they decide that they basically they invite people over for dinner that deserve to be killed, so they become a cult of serial killers. That only kill the people that need to be killed, but then things kind of go out of control. Peter, do you see how this is a great idea that can be screwed up really easy? It sort of sounds like a poorly executed version of the Star Chamber. Yeah. And to a degree, yeah. yeah concept of like sort of a cult or or a gang of people that are out like sort of dishing out justice only in this case it's it's a little bit different it's not to do with like the court system or whatever but no i haven't i haven't seen this movie but the first thing that jumped into my mind was uh star chamber well and then of course he did twister which i hated and then titanic and then titanic which okay titanic you know what i i like the movie but bill paxton really has just i mean He's the framing story. He's not a vital part of Titanic. And then he did the amazing Vietnam movie, A Bright Shining Lie. And then what I think might be, okay, he's got what I think is his best performance ever in 2001. But vying for that would be Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan with him and Billy Bob Thornton. Mm -hmm. He is amazing in A Simple Plan. Simple Plan is one of those movies that just got overlooked for whatever reason. I, I don't know why. It's, it was the first time Sam Raimi really broke away from his comfort zone, and I think nobody wanted to see Sam Raimi do a family drama. But it's it's huh. so much like more than that. <laughs> I actually haven't seen that one either. That one sounds uh, interesting as well. Uh, that that one's got also Billy Bob Thornton. And, and then he went on to do one of the worst remakes of the 1990s, Mighty Joe Young. <laughs> God, this movie was ass. <laughs> and that was a movie that, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> it got delayed a lot before it finally came out. And uh, yeah, it had a lot that of was talent. Not a good film. And- I, well, it's like, I, I, see, the thing with Mighty Joe Young is kind of the way that I feel about King Kong. I don't understand why we keep getting giant monkey movies. <laughs> I don't it's, give uh, a fucking shit. It's for the Homer Simpsons of the world. It's for guys that just love giant monkey movies. Hail to the chimp. Hail to the chimp. <laughs> Simian superiority, man. Hey, it got nominated for an Oscar, though. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I, I remember that coming out when I was a kid, and I just couldn't give less of a shit. Well, and then, you know, he, he did he did a couple other parts, like in U571 and Vertical Limit, and then what I think is his best performance ever, which he also directed the movie, was Frailty. Frailty's great. Frailty's a fantastic movie. Frailty, okay, Frailty's first of all, you got Matthew, Matthew McConaughey, Bill Paxton, Powers Booth is fantastic, but I think Bill Paxton yeah. just owns this movie. 
I, I haven't seen it in a, in a couple of years now, but his all of his scenes are flashbacks, right? Like he's teaching his kids about the demons and how there are weapons put on Earth to kill those demons and stuff. And then the, the rest of the movie is Matthew McConaughey being interrogated. That's he's being interrogated by Powers Booth, yeah. Yeah, oh, f- that's a great movie. I love that one. I, I remember the twist at the end of this one really got me, though, too. Yeah, that uh, was really, really well done. And and then he did, he fell into Robert Rodriguez's hands, and he was in both Spy Kids 2 and 3. I never saw Spy Kids 3, but Spy Kids 2, he was a sleazy used car salesman type <laughs> person. And I remember him being fun in that. Yeah. Then he was, uh, just like, I think he was a cowboy or something in Spy Kids 3D. And then Bill Paxton went on to, I thought this was a good idea, and it had some good moments, but... Club Dread was ass. Oh, you but Coconut lie. Pete. Coconut Club Pete Dread was great. great. No, Club whole... Dread was yeah. was a great idea that was not done well at all. That movie is every good idea shitting itself as soon as it comes on camera. No, you're wrong. Wrong. Coconut Pete. All of his hit songs were all shameless ripoffs of like, <laughs> like instead of margaritaville he had pina colada berg and like oh, it's so goddamn funny come on the guys yeah. from super troopers did it movie yeah. is great you're so wrong well and then bill paxton kind of went to tv like we pointed out he would have the training day show he had big love on hbo which i admit i gave up on four episodes in i couldn't take the bullshit anymore he showed up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was still taking smaller roles, like in Edge of Tomorrow and Nightcrawler and whatnot. He started to ah. do some video game voices. It looked like he was on the way up, although, like I said, Training Day looked like yeah. it was about to be canceled when he died. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, I mean, Bill Paxton got me to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for five episodes. That says a lot, because I hate yeah. that show. Uh, I think it's really unfortunate that we lost him at the in his career. 61, considering the way he looked, um, it seemed like his, I mean, obviously at that age, you're going to start having some health problems, but at 61, he looked to be doing good for his age, still working really regularly. I loved him in uh, Nightcrawler, and I'll still watch anything else that put out recently before his untimely passing. He's a guy we definitely lost too soon. He's still obviously been a, a regular working actor. Not only that, a successfully regularly working actor and somebody who more than likely could have given us another 10 or 20 years of solid performances. And I'm really going to miss the guy. He does still have one more movie that hasn't come out yet. That Tom Hanks sort of Google type conspiracy movie, The Circle. He plays <laughs> the main character's father in that. So I don't know how large his role is, obviously, because it hasn't come out yet. It's unfortunate, but that movie probably, let's let's assume he has only a small part. He's only literally credited as May's father. I bet that movie is now going to play up him being in that quite a bit. I think yeah, the second trailer likely. for The Circle is going to, because I don't remember him being in the trailer at all. I bet the second trailer is going to have some scenes with Bill Paxton in it. Yeah, they're most likely going to do something tasteless like that. They they always do that whenever an actor dies, uh, and they they made a movie with a small role, and it's they want to capitalize it that way. It's it's an unfortunate uh, seedy part of the business. I think it's a shame. Hopefully, The Circle is a good movie because it really sucks when you've got an actor who has done as wide a breadth of stuff as he does, and to have it end on like a crappy movie. The Circle looks like it could go either way. I just, uh, I don't know. I think that uh, it's it's a shame. He, like Peter said, he's an actor who 
it's it's not like like there are some actors or actresses and whatnot they're known alcoholics or they're known junkies or they have all kinds of problems and when they die it's a shame but you're not surprised for him to die like when i got the message that he died i was like oh my god this had to be like a car crash or something, some kind of tragedy. This wasn't, you know, he did. And it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was. It was, sur- you know, it was freaking heart surgery going on. Yeah, wrong. it wasn't and his fault. It was the doctor. Like, it was complications during heart surgery. They f***ed up. Yeah, they f***ed up and he died and that really sucks. And it's it's an absolute tragedy. It's a shame. Yeah, because I've never, I've never heard about him being a junkie or a drunk or anything like that. No, no, I mean, everybody. Maybe, um, he might drink like, uh, you know, like with friends drinking. or, or something. Something, yeah, but I, he's never been known to very clean, good guy. N- no like tabloid disasters, no like Hollywood freakouts or anything. It just just seems like like a great seemed like he was a great guy, like a really good dude and a good example of what your behavior should be like as a celebrity. And that is not ending up in the newspapers as like a coked out or you know drug addled uh, drunken freak out in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard. Like he kept I wouldn't say a low profile, but he kept respectful. And that's yeah. great. I think that's great. The fact that if you look on Twitter and all the people that have worked with him that have come out to talk about him, like there's there's no, you know, he was a troubled soul or something. It's he was a great guy. He was fantastic to work with. I loved him. I will miss him. People are posting pictures and they're like, this was us a month ago. You can see oh, that he's fine. You know, this wasn't a, yeah. you know, he was in bad shape and, you know, he kept himself in good shape. He really took care of himself and just... Oh, you did. can see that. You can see that in the Training Day trailer. Again, I haven't seen the show, yeah. but when you watch the, like, three-minute trailer, he's in there kicking ass. He looks lean. Yeah, he looks for a yeah. 61-year-old dude. I mean, God. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't look, uh, he's one of those 60-year-old dudes that doesn't look a day over 40. He's he always, he's, he has that, he's had that look on, look to him for, like, the last, like, 10 years or something. He, he's, uh, that's why it was to me so surprising that he passed because it's sort of weird to say, but Bill Paxton is one of those actors I thought would live forever because he's looked the same since I was a kid. I think his hair, his hairline receded a little bit, but he pretty much a little stayed bit. about the same. Like he's, yeah. the, he looks the same. As he's he not did. a vampire like Don Cheadle or Keanu Reeves though. Oh God, Keanu Reeves looks yeah. better now than, than I, I would now. say Don Cheadle too. Don Cheadle, you go back and look at the Booker episode he did in 1989. He looks exactly like Don Cheadle today. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah. that's not natural. That's a, that's also a black don't crack thing. I mean, Samuel. All right. Jackson, on that note, we're going to end the show. So I want to say Bill Paxton is going to be missed. He literally made me watch TV shows and movies I had no interest in otherwise. I might even go see The Circle because it's his last movie because the trailer for that did nothing for me. I might just go see The Circle just because Bill Paxton is in it. I love the guy. I'm really going to miss him. I'm going to miss the fact that uh, we're not going to get any more of uh, of his charm and charisma out. Like it was, uh, it's always been such a joy to see him in his movies and seeing him team up with uh, you know with James Cameron. And he always he he always is like the high point in whatever movie he's in. God, he played a sleaze bag so well. Oh, uh, he was fantastic at playing a sleaze bag. He was just wonderful. And uh, I think that uh, most. Most likely, I mean, he probably has a very small part in the circle. It's going to be mostly Hermione uh, going up against Tom Hanks and uh, oh, I, Emma Watson's in it. Yeah, it's Emma. Yeah, w- and Patton Oswalt is, is one of the villains. Oh it's God, be a I didn't even tough. It's 
going to be it's, a tough sit. It's going to be a really tough sit. And so that's kind of sucks. It's like, you know, he couldn't have gone out like Raul Julia with Street Fighter. You know, he had to go out with a, with <laughs> with a the circle the, with a Hermione headed vehicle. Uh, uh, so, but yeah, I am desperately going to miss the guy. I am uh, shortly after we're done recording this, I am going to watch Near Dark and get really, really drunk. Fair enough. While you're doing that, where can people find you? You can find me watching Near Dark and Aliens and getting really, really drunk. Twitter, at Cinematica, Facebook, The Cinemasochist, YouTube, The Cinemasochist, uh, and uh.com. Where can we find Cecil? Probably not being drunk, but hopefully doing a Slipstream episode soon. Digging out my copy of Slipstream at, uh, at uh, escapismagazine.com, goodbadflicks.com, and then YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, goodbadflicks. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Myself to play. I'm a man from birth. You won't turn me away. When I'm with you, why do I feel this way?
up your heart Tearing you apart You can watch me as I slip Watch me as I slide But the rhythm of my heart Makes me want to hop Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.